Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can also hear me on radio.com, intercom, terrestrial stations across the country and the Scal and Pals podcast on a weekly basis. This is the last podcast of 2019 for Buker and Friends. And so I thought we'd wrap it up by doing a countdown of the top 10 most important events in the NBA in the calendar year of 2019. So... Without further ado, we got a lot to get through. Let's get to it. Number 10, Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade both retire. Now, Wade, significance of Wade retiring, first of the Banana Boat crew with Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and LeBron James to say goodbye. And that crew, I believe, will look back and I don't know if we'll look at them as having the basketball impact, the impact on the floor, certainly all. Uh, stellar players, certainly all, uh, I would imagine, are going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. But the fact that they introduced the idea of orchestrating their way to particular teams, Chris Paul did it and going to the Clippers, deciding he was going to play with who he was going to play with there. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade obviously doing it. Carmelo Anthony doing the same in terms of wanting to go to New York from Denver, ending up with the Knicks. Didn't work out for all of them to quite the same degree, but these four introduced that idea as much as any four in the league. Also took over control of the players' union. And if you look at how contracts are devised uh, as of now, they certainly reward superstar players. Chris Paul, LeBron James had a big hand in making that happen. Also, probably the least of it, but the most recognized is when they stood up at the ESPYs together to talk about social awareness. And I don't know that anything's come of that since, but there was a big deal made of it then. And it was unique for the four of them to stand up on that platform and make that case. I kind of feel as if it was a little convenient for both sides. It made 
uh, ESPN looked socially aware and made those guys look socially aware. I don't know what the ultimate impact of that has been, but it stands out. We hadn't seen it before. So, uh, and simply making their their friendship visible as much as they did. These are all guys that were ostensibly competing for championships. And I don't know that their friendship got in the way, but the AAUification of the NBA in terms of guys who were friends growing up. We all know the stories about LeBron and Carmelo meeting through the uh, national team trials. And all of these guys became, became buddies along the way, largely through the national team. But they were conditioned to become friends, even though they were competing against each other on the AAU level. And then there's Dirk, the big Deutschmark. Dirk probably ushered in the idea of the stretch four as much as any great player. He had to adapt. The game somewhat adapted with him. He's also known to be the first foreign-born, foreign-developed superstar to lead a team to a championship. Those who suggest that he led them or that he was the driving force without a second star either weren't there or don't remember how that was accomplished. The closeout game was dependent on Jason Terry and Jason Kidd and any number of contributing players as much as it was Dirk, who was MIA in the first half of the closeout game and had an up-and-down series overall. But uh, to say he was the star of that team, that would certainly be accurate. I just don't know, and this is what makes his retirement significant, is that I'm not sure that if he were coming into the league today that he would have achieved quite the legacy that he did. The game being as fast as it is, the three-point shooting and range being far more uniform across the board, far more players being able to shoot from range and operate in different ways. And yes, he did develop a mid-range game and ability to play around the basket and was a clever player, no doubt. But the game is played so fast that I don't know that he would have had the opportunity to take full advantage of all of that mid-range game uh, that he had because it took some time to get into those shots. And the way the game's played today, simply that time is not afforded. All right, number nine, Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City Thunder hit the reset button by trading both Paul George and Russell Westbrook after Damian Lillard hit that goodbye shot to knock them out of the second round of the playoffs. Now, the reason that this isn't any higher is because I don't know what Russell and Paul George would have accomplished if they had stayed in Oklahoma City. The reason that it's on the list is because of a theory that one former player posited to me that makes a lot of sense. If you're Oklahoma City, and I know this from my conversations with GM Sam Presti, getting superstar talent in a, in a market like Oklahoma City very, very difficult to do. They had not one, but two under contract. This isn't Kevin Durant leaving through free agency. Both of these guys had signed up for the long term. I don't see how, if you're Oklahoma City, you have those two 
you have them under contract and you voluntarily move them unless unless when they sign their extensions and this is the theory posited to me by the former player that makes a lot of sense unless you said sign the extension see how it goes and if it doesn't look like we're going where you want to if it doesn't look like we're going to be title contenders if you find another place that you want to go we will accommodate you that that was the understanding in order to get both PG and Russ to sign up long term in Oklahoma City it doesn't it just begs the question. Uh, certainly, if you're going to move one, you would move the other. But why would you move either one of them knowing that you're not only hitting the reset button, but that you're having to concede that you may never get a star player of their quality ever again in Oklahoma City? I just don't know that you do that voluntarily. All right. Number eight. The Warriors All-Star backcourt of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson sustain major injuries that put their uh, the possibility of them playing in the 1920 season 2019-20 season in doubt. Again, the reason it's not higher is because contrary to popular belief, this was not a team that was going to be vying for a title with or without D'Angelo Russell once KD left town their title contention days were over and are over for the foreseeable future. I know there's a lot of people who believe those guys come back. You've got D'Angelo Russell. You found Eric Pascal. Keep Alec Burks. That makes you a good team. Makes you a playoff team. It does not make you a title contending team. And as an aside, as I continue to watch D'Angelo Russell put up points that have no meaning for the Warriors. It's, it's really kind of extraordinary. A guy can score 30 points and it's superfluous to whether they win or lose or if he doesn't play at all, how they play. Uh, I'm recording this shortly after the Warriors took San Antonio to overtime with no D'Angelo Russell as a result of him getting hurt in the prior game. And there was no impact. You would think the leading scorer. You would think a guy who is clever with the ball, uh, makes as many threes as he does, makes as many big shots as he does, gutsy shots, you would miss it. You just don't. Because, in part, defensively, he's not giving you anything. uh, Less than anything. And offensively, while he gets his, and on the pick and roll, he'll throw a lob here and there, but he's really not creating a whole lot for anybody else. Draymond Green does more of that without being a viable scoring threat. But the bottom line is having Clay and Steph out really simplified things for the Warriors and opened the door for them to be much better next season than they would have been otherwise because it allows them to have the worst record in the league or one of the worst records in the league. And from everything that I know about owner Joe Lacob, they would have still been trying to win every game possible. And it could have negatively impacted their their protected first round pick. They may not have may have ended up going to Brooklyn, and they would have had no possible way of improving this team. I'm sorry, adding Eric Pascal and finding Alec Burks and D'Angelo Russell with Clay, Steph, and Draymond is still not. It doesn't get you anywhere close to title contention. Now, 
having the number one pick and adding James Wiseman. While I'm not sure that it makes you a title contender next year, it does give you the viability going forward. It gives you hope more than anything. The hope of being a title contender at some point before Clay, Steph, and Dre say goodbye. That window is a lot smaller than I believe a lot of people understand. But nonetheless, it would give you that hope. Without that, there's no reason to believe that they're going to get back there before Steph and Clay call it a day. Number seven, the Raptors bring a championship to Canada. Now you're thinking maybe this should be much higher. But the reality is, I see it as the impact. The impact of their winning is not that Canada now is going to become the mecca of basketball or that the Toronto Raptors are going to be a perennial title, perennial title contender. Let's, let's be realistic. Masai Ujiri found lightning in a bottle by having Kawhi Leonard become available by San Antonio and they're having a DeMar Rosen and a couple pieces that were palatable for San Antonio and San Antonio being eager to put Kawhi somewhere in the Eastern Conference. So they took advantage of a situation. The greater impact is that they proved, in case anybody didn't realize it from watching the Warriors, that this big three idea really isn't the heart of winning championships. I'm not sure that it ever was, but we could we could kind of fool ourselves into thinking that way. And certainly everybody was making... I've heard the question time and time again. I still hear it with the Lakers. Who's going to be your third guy? Is it going to be Kyle Kuzma? If it's not Kyle Kuzma, who's it going to be? Why do you need a third guy? What you need is you need a quality third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy. That's what you need. The Raptors demonstrated that. Even if you only have one true, bonafide, proven superstar as the Raptors had in Kawhi Leonard. If you have enough other quality players, players who can come through in the clutch, players who are fearless, players who can be interchangeable defensively in particular and can still be a threat offensively wherever they are on the floor, now you have a chance. That's what the Toronto Raptors proved. Now, I don't know that the... Most of the media has picked up on this. They're still beating the same drum about the big three and that that's the the key is having that nucleus. I believe the Warriors actually demonstrated that back when they had Dre, Steph, and Clay before KD came on board. Yes, they had a big three, but the secret sauce for the Warriors really was their depth and their versatility Uh, and the way those three fit together. It's not having three superstars. It's not having three, three guys who are super talent. It's having a team where the pieces fit together and guys are willing to make room for each other no matter what talent they have. That's what the Raptors had, and that's why they're number seven on the list. Number six, Daryl Morey tweets, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And with that tweet, created an international crisis between the NBA and People's Republic of China. It's extraordinary on a number of levels. One, that the Rockets are the team that 
created the bridge between the U.S. and China by drafting Yao Ming, the number one pick, and then his stardom with the Rockets and all that he did to bring the two cultures together. The Daryl Morey, while he did not draft Yao and only came into the organization at the tail end of Yao Ming's run there, that he would not be conscious of what that kind of tweet could potentially do is extraordinary. Being an MIT guy, considered one of the smarter guys in his position in the NBA, that's extraordinary. That's one. Two, he was at over in Asia when it happened. The Rockets were traveling over there. That you wouldn't be more conscious of how different the cultures are over there versus what we have here. Again, another extraordinary event. And obviously it created uh, a bit of turmoil. To me, it simply it exposed the NBA's dirty little not-so-secret secret, which is that it has business relationships globally with countries that do not share the same principles, democratic principles, that we do. Again, I said it when it happened. I'll say it again. The NBA signed its biggest TV, its first big TV deal with the People's Republic of China months after the events in Tiananmen Square where the, uh, the protests were put down by the Chinese military. Nobody said a word at the time. Nobody was making the connection. Daryl Morey tweets out, that's largely the impact. I imagine if we had social media then, it would have been a different story. But this is the reality of what social media does. I have it sixth on the list because in the big picture, I'm not really convinced that it's all that impactful. It's meaningful. I, I could have it... At the end of the day, it could ultimately prove to be the 10th most important event on as far as this list is concerned or at the very top of the list. I am skeptical. I'm probably leaning toward it being closer to 10 than one, which is why it's six on my list. It's easy for people on social media to get upset and to cry the NBA's reaction, although the NBA's reaction to me was as forgiving as it possibly could be. Considering the potential millions of dollars that Maury put in jeopardy, he was not fined, he wasn't suspended, at least not to our knowledge. He, he didn't lose his job. It was downplayed as well as Adam Silver could possibly downplay it. You put any other business in the same situation, and this is a business. The NBA isn't carrying the flag of patriotism. It's not the NBA's job. You want to you wrap them up in the red, white, and blue? You go ahead and suggest that. If that's the case, they should have adopted the ABA ball, the old red, white, and blue ball, if that's what you want. But I believe it's it's more a case of people get an opportunity to cl- complain and point their finger at somebody else not doing it right. And that's that's where most of this is generated. Because here's the reality of of our country as a whole. Not to get not to get political, but 
just going to say the NBA is not unique in this. Businesses of every kind. Our government is making deals with countries and with people who do not ascribe to our principles on a daily basis. This one simply became public because of what Daryl Morey did. That's the only difference. Before I give you the top five, I want to say a word about our new sponsor. The holidays may be over, but I want to give all our listeners a gift, a chance to make your workouts more enjoyable, more challenging, and more conducive to your busy schedule. Tired of having to create new playlists? Are you looking for someone to keep you motivated with new routines, but on your time? You can do all that with CycleCast, an app that provides studio quality classes for both indoor cycling and running workouts. I found CycleCast on my own. I already had a quality spin bike and didn't want to spend a ton of money on a new bike with a video screen and all that. You know the one I'm talking about. I don't need to see a bunch of other people on spin bikes. I just need an instructor who has an ear for music that will get me hammering those pedals and a ride plan that makes me feel like I'm going somewhere, both while I'm in the saddle and with my overall fitness. That's exactly what CycleCast gave me for a ridiculously low monthly subscription. You can use the app on your iOS or Android phone. It uses minimal battery and data, and you can use it on any kind of bike, and the running programs are both indoor and outdoor. Someone who travels and has to fit my workouts around my schedule, I love that I can take CycleCast with me wherever I go and use it with any available spin bike. I'm all about simple, effective, and fun. And CycleCast gives me all three with an array of instructors you're going to love having in your ear, along with some rockin' beats. Let us help you reach your goals in 2020 or even set... Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. New ones. Download the CycleCast app and use the promotional code BUKER and you'll get four free additional weeks on top of your free seven-day trial. That's CycleCast, C-Y-C-L-E-C-A-S-T. Don't forget to use the promotional code BUCHER, B-U-C-H-E-R, to get five free weeks of guided workouts with killer soundtracks. CycleCast, you're going to love where this app takes you. Moving on to number five on our list of the top 10 most important events in the NBA in the calendar year of 2019. All right, number five, Kevin Durant tears his Achilles tendon in the NBA Finals while still with the Golden State Warriors, coming back after uh, missing uh, an array of games with a calf injury. Now, I think it's significant that he met with Kyrie Irving to talk about Brooklyn, going to the Brooklyn Nets, joining him with the Brooklyn Nets while he was out with the calf injury. And then again, 
right after he had his surgery to repair the torn Achilles. The reason I have this at this point in the list is several reasons. Number one, prior to the injury, I believe there was a very good chance that he would have wound up with the New York Knicks with or without Kyrie Irving. Once he had the injury, he was not going to go someplace without another star. And that changed the dynamic for the Knicks because the Knicks were not going to spend a year with Kyrie Irving as that other star. Bottom line is the injury paved the way for Kyrie and KD to go to Brooklyn. Uh, The Knicks essentially to come up empty-handed. And to add one more proof of players taking over and orchestrating not only where they want to play, but who they're going to play with and teams accommodating them. GMs now, their role is not to build a roster in the traditional sense. It is to build a culture and a support cast and create cap room to attract that star or the draft picks in order to draft that superstar. But it really is about creating the incubator as much as it is about trying to land that superstar. And as has been demonstrated with both the Clippers and the Nets, rather than get the superstar (laughs) and then build around that central piece, it is possible to create a culture and a quality team. And if you do it economically, you then have the opportunity to be attractive to a superstar who says, hey, I want to go there and I can be the I can be the final piece. Now, it certainly helps both of them, Brooklyn and the Clippers, that they are in major markets. But nonetheless, it has really flipped what we have thought of as the normal template on its head. And it's being driven by the fact that players, superstar players, are now dictating not only where they go, but who they're going to play with, and in some cases, even who they're going to play for when it comes to the coaching staff. Number four. And number four and number three, I'll give you a heads up. Number four and number three are really intertwined. Uh, You could flip-flop them if you want. Wouldn't make a whole lot of difference as far as my reason for putting them where I have. Number four is Luka Doncic wins Rookie of the Year for the 2018-2019 season. Again, this is for calendar year 2019, so it qualifies. What makes that so impactful and makes it so high on the list, number four, is the fact that Igor Kokoskov, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns at the time, they had the number one pick. Igor had coached Doncic uh, on the Slovenian national team. He was intimate with just how good Luka Doncic was. Vlade Divac, head of the Sacramento Kings, also had the opportunity to draft Luka. And Vlade, being uh, Serbian, having intimate knowledge of what it is to play internationally, to do all the things that Luka Doncic did at his young age, uh, being an MVP several times over and for a variety of things, and yet he didn't draft him drafted Marvin Bagley, and the Phoenix Suns drafted DeAndre Ayton. Now, how much influence was there as far as 
uh, when it comes to the Suns, he was Igor was the coach. He wasn't the GM. That was Ryan, Ryan McDonough. You have their owner, Robert Sarver. Not sure exactly what influence he might have had. And with the rationale in Sacramento being that they already had Fox, so they wanted to pair him with somebody else. Luka Doncic considered uh, a point guard, essentially what he's been playing with Dallas, a big point guard. So duplication there. Although it's starting to play out like the not even as good as the Portland Trailblazers having Clyde Drexler and that being their reason for not drafting Michael Jordan. Fox is not demonstrating that he's on the level of a Clyde Drexler. But more important than anything, it's the fact that Doncic wins Rookie of the Year. And then what we're seeing this season is takes yet another step forward. If this doesn't shift the view of international players, I don't know that they discounted what he did in Europe as much as they questioned, does he have the athleticism to really excel in the NBA? And what he's demonstrated is that if you have the skills and you have the toughness, you don't need to be a superior athlete. I mean, he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. What he is, is he's a great basketball player. And I'm not sure it will necessarily change the dynamic completely, but I would hope that it would certainly shift it. Because, look, for um, it's not like I've been scouting him for years and years, but I knew what he'd done, and I'd seen him play, and I thought, you're not... The NBA, or any team that doesn't draft him, obviously the Dallas Mavericks did recognize, you're not appreciating the game that he can play at that young age. And um, short of being concerned that his body was going to break down for some reason, I just couldn't see any way that you would draft a Marvin Bagley or a Trey Young. I mean, there was nobody in this draft that had demonstrated that they could play professional basketball as a star, as the leading piece, as a central piece to a team. No one in this draft had demonstrated that to the level of Luka Doncic. I mean, it was just not even close in terms of the guys that are... DeAndre Ayton got knocked out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Marvin Bagley, one year. I mean, go down the line. R.J. Barrett, name it. None of them, none of them would, would have, could have possibly done what Luka Doncic did against men playing not college basketball, not amateur basketball, professional basketball. Number three, this is an association with number four, Zion Williamson. Drafted number one, got hurt in summer league, again in preseason, and he's now been out nearly 10 weeks for an injury that was supposed to require six to eight weeks and normally takes four to six. Zion was a phenomenon even before he got to Duke and played his one year, largely because of the freakish athletic ability that he had his size and really his girth but the speed and the footwork he was electric youtube sensation sensation is duke i get it i get why people couldn't take their eyes off him but that athleticism that superior athleticism this is always the fool's gold at the college level because there's a lot of guys that don't have the requisite athletic ability to play in the nba at the college level. In fact, the vast majority of guys don't. That's changing. And maybe that's changing with Doncic and the way the game is playing, but 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 still, there's a certain requisite 
size, speed, strength that you have to have. Either that or you just have to have an IQ, basketball IQ that's off the charts and a team and a coach that knows how to utilize that. I'm thinking of Fred Van Vliet. I'm thinking of J.J. Barea, Jalen Brunson. There are exceptions, but by and large, Chris Paul, by and large, you have to have a certain amount of strength, speed, etc. Zion had that and then some. But I knew we were in trouble right from the beginning when the comparisons were made to LeBron James because the skill set was not close. And we saw that pretty quickly. So this is why I coupled three with four because I just wonder whether Zion and who knows when we're going to see him play, how long it's going to take him to develop, what he's going to be when that ultimately, if it happens, happens. I just wonder if this is going to shift the viewpoint of drafting and valuing athleticism over just raw requisite skill of the kind that Doncic has demonstrated and some of the other guys that I've, I've noted who may not be superior athletes. Because this is the thing with the game, the way the game's being played now is... It's not, we're not quite there, but if you can't hit a jump shot, if you can't shoot the ball from range, we're almost to the point where you can't play. Or certainly you're nothing more than a role player at best. Now, it wasn't that long ago. That simply wasn't the case. And you know, with all the talk of top 50 and top 100 players and Hall of Famers, like Moses Malone couldn't, I'm not sure he could, well, he would play in today's game, but he would be a role player. I mean, it's, it's, this goes back to our number 10 item. Yes, Zion is mobile, but you can't just be mobile. You have to be able to play anywhere on the floor. We're almost to that point of Pat Riley, who way decades ago, imagined having five, six, nine interchangeable guys, all who could handle, all who could shoot. We're pretty close to that dynamic. But the key is, you can't just be six, nine. You can't just be quick. You have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to handle the ball. You have to be able to pass it. And you have to be able to defend. You have to be able to do all those things. So there's, there's a reason, as I mentioned in the number 10 event, both Dirk and Dwayne retiring. Uh, there's a reason why bigs are don't play the same role they once did. Bigs who don't shoot it. Now, guys like Brooke Lopez still have a place. Marcus Gasol, who has developed a three-point shot and can pass and can handle, they still have a place. They can still be prominent players. But short of that, it's become very much a skilled game. And I just wonder, the success of Doncic, the question marks around Zion. Again, I'm not, it's not going to flip the dynamic. It's not going to flip the thinking in the NBA. Because it's a little bit like drafting big guys. You still, when it comes to having to push the button to make the choice, the size invariably wins out. Unless there's a clear distinction. Inability and talent. Size wins out.
Uh, I mean, it did eight and over Doncic, essentially. So I just wonder whether the combination of what happened with Zion and what Doncic is doing, whether it will shift it, whether skills will be valued, considering the changes in the game, be valued over being able to leap 40 inches. All right, we are down to the last two. And again, these are somewhat tied together. Number two, the Lakers trade for Anthony Davis. Trade away half their team to the New Orleans Pelicans, but nonetheless, they get Anthony Davis. LeBron gets his man, the spotlight returns, and now we are back to believing that LeBron James has a shot at winning a title. Does he realistically? I'm not convinced of that. I don't believe they're the best team, the Lakers, that is, in the in the Western Conference or in the city of L.A. as of right now. But it does give him that opportunity. And more than anything else, it puts him on the clock to try to get something done. I'm not getting the sense that people are looking for excuses or suggesting as I have, which as much as he has around him with Anthony Davis, he doesn't have that much else. I looked at their starting lineup the other day with Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo and JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I might have Rajon was not in that. Uh, Avery Bradley, Danny Green. You know, you get my point. JaVale McGee, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Does that sound like a championship caliber team? Especially when you're then looking to the bench and you don't have a Montrez Herald or a Lou Williams or uh, a Manu Ginobili uh, coming off the bench. There's just nobody there. I'm sorry. I'm not putting Kyle Kuzma in that category. But nonetheless, it does make the Lakers a player once again. Now, you're probably wondering... Why uh, am I not mentioning, or is number one Magic Johnson stepping away from the Lakers? And I would say no. It was shocking, to say the least, how he did it, when he did it. But did it really change the dynamic? I'm still not convinced that Magic was the deciding factor in LeBron James coming to the Lakers. He wanted to go to L.A., He made that decision not knowing who he was going to play with. He didn't look at the Clippers. He went with the marquee brand, the marquee team. And he went there because that's where he wants his son to play in high school. And because he wanted to continue with his production company and uh, all his projects when it comes to the entertainment industry. That, to me, were the driving forces. Now, is he still trying to win a championship? Sure. Did he want Anthony Davis? Sure. Is he preparing and playing in spite of what uh, the trainer Clint Parks might say? Yeah, I think he's going for it. Does he realize somewhere that it may never happen? Yeah, I'm sure he does. Especially with what is our number one, the number one event in 2019 in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard deciding to join the Los Angeles Clippers and bringing Paul George with him from the Oklahoma City Thunder. That is the number one event because of everything 
everything that it does already and everything that it potentially could do. But number one, it is another star, a championship star, doing much same as Kyrie and KD, except to the nth degree, in that he orchestrated. It's one thing for two free agents to say we're going to team up. Kawhi Leonard was able to orchestrate, not the Clippers, Kawhi was able to orchestrate getting Paul George to take what we suppose was the deal uh, to exercise the option that the Oklahoma City Thunder gave him when he signed that extension, which was, if you want to go someplace else that gives you a better shot, we'll accommodate you. Kawhi was able to orchestrate that and kind of keep everybody on tenderhooks at the same time. In Toronto, the Lakers, people thought they had a shot right till the end. And the Clippers were not 100% sure that it was going to happen because they, they weren't able to get that second star. But Kawhi Leonard was. And he was able to do it in a way that didn't cost them Montrez Harrell or Lou Williams. Any of the significant pieces that still make them, or in my mind, makes them the team to beat in the entire NBA. It also creates a great and probably the greatest Lakers-Clippers rivalry that we're going to see. And we'll underscore that no matter what the Clippers do, it's still going to be a Lakers town. That's just not something you can overcome. They can become popular. They can win a championship. But are they going to succeed what the Lakers have built over decades? It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen with one championship. It also, perhaps most important, and this is moving forward, it sets the stage for one of two things. Either for LeBron to reassert, reassert his claim to being the king or a true succession. We so rarely get to see this. And the way things are shaping up, I would fully expect that we're going to see these two teams, assuming that the Lakers are able to stay healthy that we'll see these two teams in the conference finals. And to have a trip to the finals, presumably to win a championship, looking at the top contenders in the East and not really buying into any of them, is the perfect passing of the mantle, of the torch, however you want to phrase it. We so rarely get to see that. And this would be a case where we would. Or LeBron says, I'm not dead yet. Don't bury me just yet. All right, that is the top 10 most important events in the NBA in the calendar year of 2019. I want to wish all of you a very happy and prosperous 2020. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it. Uh, please rate the show. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want us to do something for you, screenshot that review and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win one of the prizes that we give out every now and then. Next podcast, I will be joined by Will Blackman. We'll get you ready for playoffs in the NFL. All that's going down there. Have we seen the last of the best of the New England Patriots. That'll be one of the many conversations that we have. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 